Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Noah Ferrero. Welcome to episode three of Power to Become the Podcast. Oh man, glad to uh, release another one. It's been a ooh, two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. It's kind of a new posting schedule. Every other week we're going to do that. So we've got this one and then four more episodes for spring semester. Crazy. That doesn't seem like a lot, but... There's a lot of cool stuff that goes into making an episode, and it's a really fun process meeting lots of new people and finding new people. We still have open slots for who the last few speakers will be, so if you know anyone, hit us up at our Instagram at p2become. Maybe you got a favorite professor you'd like to hear. I don't know. Let us know. Anyway, today's guest, her name is Jeanette Orm. She is a professor of apparel here on campus. Now she is a professor, but she has done a ton of stuff around the world in the fashion industry. She is one of the kindest people I've ever met and she's such a hard worker too. She was telling me that she just got a calling as a designer for the women designing the dresses for the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. It's insane. She's doing that full-time and full-time teaching at the school. It's in crazy, honestly. I was blown away. There's a lot of great stuff that she has to share, so pay attention, enjoy, and we'll see you afterwards. I got a call in December, and then the final call came in the end of January, and I've been called to give the Mormon Tabernacle Choir ladies new outfits. Really? Now, is that a calling or is that a job? It's a calling. Wow. So... I have two interns down in Salt Lake right now. Starting, It started in January, so I'm like working two full-time jobs right now. Holy cow. And so I'm buzzing back and forth, and um, in August 1st, right after graduation, I'll move down there. Okay, so and you're so, kind of on the way out. You're pretty close. Mm-hmm. On the way out to my third career. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> Coming down the pipe. <laughs> the Lord's not done with you. <laughs> yeah, well, like yeah. My, my interns right down there, we have... CAD drafting, we have 3D, we're doing avatars. Okay. They're, they're measuring 200 and something women right now f- in the choir so we can get a spreadsheet on who's what size. Right. And it's they know enough that the spreadsheet is, the minute they finish measuring and entering these things, that it's tells them what size they are right at the end. So it's very technical. Yeah. And we have to send patterns all over the world. We're, we're going to send these patterns somewhere in the world and get them produced. Wow where before they've made them all by hand. Do you have to reach out to certain like manufacturers and just like get tests basically? Or do you have like a trusted one that you know of? The Lord kind of walks way ahead of us. So last fall, the people at Beehive Clothing want to do new dresses because the women that are young girls that are going in for their first endowments are having to pick a dress from their their mom and grandma wore. Right. And so they're trying to do dresses. So they started a collaboration with us last fall, and we've been helping them design newer dresses for a younger audience, but also international dresses so that if you go to the temple in India, the dress is going to look like India instead of the Salt Lake. Really? Well, the temple outside looks like India, and then they walk in and we slap a dress from Salt Lake, and they're going, what the heck is this? It'd be yeah. like you walking into the Rexburg Temple and then putting something from India. On you. Yeah, and I guess that would be very... You feel very adopted. Yeah, very adopted. Yeah. Not really... Well, I guess it's something that pulls your attention away from what's going on as yeah. well, maybe. And so we, in this collaboration with New Dresses, we had three of our foreign students. So we had... Do you know Kati that works here from Guatemala? Oh. Um, Kati Maraquin. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So she did one from Guatemala. We had a student that did one from India and one that did one from Ghana, Africa. 
Really? Because they're opening new temples in Ghana and India. And so we're trying to have with the open house, have a new dress open with the open house. Oh. And so that's kind of what got this going. So when they called me to this, I said, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I can bring Tammy from, from Beehive Clothing with me because okay. she knows supply chain demand. She's worked with factory. She knows how to order 3,000 yards of the same dye lot and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And so between the two of us, we've got both sides yeah. of it. Okay, so you I, really do need someone on that supply chain side. That's interesting. But our our major is half apparel design and we're half business. So we're the only biracial marriage on campus as far as degrees. Okay. That a business department actually married apparel design. So our students take half apparel design and then they take half business. Mm-hmm. Because you can't do anything in the apparel world if you don't know business. Yeah, that makes sense. You got to know, you know, profit margins and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And so it's a very good mix. But to get this done faster, we've got somebody from Beehive Clothing that does it all the time. Okay. Helping me. And then she's helped our students. And and I'm also helping her with new temple dresses and things mm-hmm. like that on wow. the side, too. So, Can I ask you a question about jobs in, like, apparel? Mm-hmm. Is that the right way to say it? Would you say it's because fashion is different from just, a, like, that's its own separate thing, right? Nope. Fashion and the apparel industry are the same. You've got off-the-rack clothing, and then you also have couture, like one-of-a-kind stuff, like what just was on the Met Gala carpet a few days ago. Yes, yeah. Okay, that's designers. And so we are training them in both. We're teaching them how to do basically fast fashion, and we're teaching them how to do couture at the same time. So we teach them the business side of it too and the technical side because you can't do anything today if you don't know how to draft a pattern on the on CAD because right. that's how you talk to overseas. That's how you get a tech pack over there. Really? That's how you get the pattern over there. And that's how you go back and forth with sample models and things like that. And so it's not a home. I mean, you can have a home-based business, but even if you have a home-based business, at some point you have to know how to use this technology or you're not going to survive going forward because that's the way the world is. Mm-hmm. And President Nelson said he wants it to be technological for the choir going forward. Really? And I guess that's why they knocked on my door. Right. Yeah. You really are. You've been from early days to... The dark ages to now. The dark ages. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The dark ages till now. um, It's... We've kept my age a big deep secret in the department until we just hired somebody new. But um, Heavenly Father's really blessed me with health. Mm -hmm. And he's... I... Let's just say I didn't get hired here until I was 64. Mm. And thank goodness it was Elder Clark that hired me when he was president because he's a year older than me. And he said, ah, she's got a lot of life. (laughs) (laughs) The next year it was Clark Gilbert and he might have a son-in-law his age. So that wouldn't have worked. Right. (laughs) But it's so like, for instance, our kids are getting amazing jobs, but our competition in the field is Parsons School Design in New York City, FIT in New York City, FITM in California. That's who we're competing against for the jobs. Mm-hmm. So if we don't stay on the cutting edge all the time, our kids, they're going to they're gonna say, oh, don't hire anybody from BYU. I don't know what they're doing. Right. And we're the only fashion design program in the whole church. Wow. Not even at BYU? They used to have one at BYU. In fact, that's where I graduated from. Right. It was a gap in the middle. Gotcha. But um, they got rid of it in the late mid to late 90s. Because somebody didn't think it was academic enough, mm-hmm. but it's the number two grossing business in the world right behind fruit. Really? Because everybody wears clothes. Wow. 
What about like healthcare? I guess that would be something that would also be a big industry, but fashion more than healthcare. Well, not everybody has healthcare, but everybody wears something. That's true. That's right. Very good. And it's got to come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so we try to fill a niche, niche. If you're old enough, it was niche. Now it's niche. Um, (laughs) Things change. Yeah. But, um, my, do- my daughters, that's almost what they are. And we have a lot of guys. Guys are really good at this because CAD drafting is done on the same principle as architecture. Right. X and Y axis. But I, a lot of students, and I'm from California, and so a lot of students say, well, we're going to make this. I'm going to do a line for LDS, modest clothes for LDS women. I said, no, you're not. I'm not. Nope. You're not going to label LDS because... LDS women are not the only people in the world to dress modestly. Anybody that goes to church on a normal basis has values. Right. I mean, there's one of my past students from high school that I taught how to make bathing suits. She now has her own bathing suit, suit company, and she saw her bathing suits on Duck Dynasty. Oh, wow. Because they're Christians. Right. And so they're going to have values. Yeah. And they're going to dress more. And the most, the biggest part of the population dresses a little more conservative than a runway. Mm-hmm. The runway is usually the most extreme, and then it kind of gets watered down for mainstream on right. the street stuff. Okay. And so I said, no, you're just going to do clothing for people with values. And you just people will start to see your stuff, and they'll follow. You're not going to tag yourself. You're not going to put yourself that will just limit you. But you got to remember who you are while you're doing this. Right. Because um, there's a reason why Heavenly Father's helped us put all this back. Right. And just a question about, like, limiting yourself. Now, there's limits and then there's also standards, right? So what would you tell your students or those interested in apparel about, you know, drawing that line between modesty and... Well, we, we kind of approach it like a job. So while we're here, everybody signs the, signs the honor code. So I say, the Benson building? No, the Kimball building, that's where the big guy is, right? Mm -hmm. That's your boss right now. And so your boss says that you have to abide by the honor code. So everything that we design, because we have three big fashion shows a year, now that COVID's, well, we had them before COVID, then we had a mini project runway thing, and then we're back to the full-blown hundreds of people. But right now, the base that we use is the garment. So anything you design that goes on that runway, you have to be able to wear your garments with. Mm-hmm. Because that's who your boss is right now. And that's who's paying 70% of your tuition. If the church <laughs> pays 70% of everybody's tuition here, you only pay 30%. Right. So that's, and so if you go to work for somebody else, let's say you go to work for somebody in New York, and we have two students working in New York right now, and one in London, that... Um, if that boss says, I want you to design it this way, you say, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Like Kati, who works in your department, has an internship and, and it's going into a job with Janela Bay, a swimsuit company. And they say, this is this is kind of our mantra. This is the look we have. We mm-hmm. want you to stay within these bounds. And you say, yes, sir. If you go out and say, well, I don't want to do that, mm-hmm. then they, you're fired. And so we basically tell the kids here on campus, it's just a good lesson learning how to listen to what your employer wants. I think that's a great perspective because as a creative like industry as it is, right? Like unless you're doing working for yourself, you have 
limitations or standards for not just like values, right? Yeah. It's like a company standards that and you have to like meet. And even like standards of quality even. Yeah. So you could work for H&M or you can work for Dior. Mm-hmm. And the standard of quality is way far apart yeah. on that. But you have to learn that. And everybody's probably the one of the biggest things most of my students say is, I want to have my own business. I want to have my own line. And sure. I say, that's great. But that's way far down the road. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Because you need to work for somebody first. Right. And you need to make all the mistakes on their dime. And you learn from them because being self-employed and trying to start this off, one wrong mistake in the business mistake with even ordering fabric uh-huh. or even missing one. When you're self-employed, you have self-employment tax laws. Yep. One self-employment fine in a tax law is going to sink your boat. So why don't you need to go work for different people and think, okay, I don't want to do that, but I liked what they did here. I don't want to do this, but I like what, and let them train you. And then you'll be good enough and smart enough to go out on your own. Yeah. And do you see many students that go from here to on their own and be successful or fail? Like what, what have you seen there? We have one student we're going to interview and have on our a Zoom call in our society. She's a fashion influencer on Instagram. Okay. But she did her internship for Nordstrom's, and it's called the managerial, <clears throat> excuse me, internship, where if they like you at the end of your internship, they guarantee you an assistant managership wow. of a department. And she did that, but she realized she didn't like retail sales, but she liked everything that Nordstrom's taught her about putting looks together and making the customer look good. And they train you really, really well. So she started to kind of go out on her own and do a few things. And now Kohl's and Target are paying her big money. Wow. Yeah. Those are big names. Yeah. And so she's going to be talking to our society next Wednesday, but she's also going to tell us the pitfalls of this and that. Right. And so obviously she's got some business savvy or she wouldn't have figured this out. Yeah. I feel like that probably is what will sustain you or keep you afloat the maybe the majority of the time is just having a good business sense understanding how to cover yourself and what you need to do as far as taxes or insurance or or how do you even navigate social media right yeah marketing yourself I mean, there's algorithms out there that if you don't hit it right you're not coming up and so that's why we're half business Right. Is because they have to have that. One of the business classes they take is social media marketing. Mm-hmm. And launching new ventures is one of their classes. They have to be an IBC on campus. And they moan and groan until they're done with it. Kind of, I guess, kind of like a mission. Well, that really helped a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and so we try to force them through all the paces of what it really would be like to run a business. Because not only just to run your own business, but to be... A contributing part of a business mm-hmm. and know all the different big picture of what's going on in that business and what they like say profit margins and things like that and when you go to lay out things on a computer cutting table in a factory what's the percentage of waste you can have to where it's not profitable or where it is profitable oh interesting yeah yeah you can't throw that much fabric away on a they have big industrial cutting tables where they cut through like you know a foot through Right. A fabric at once. So you have to sort of plan that out, how much you're going to use ahead of time. I had no idea. I'd never even Well, the computerized that. program we have here on campus is the one that Climb over here uses. 
that does the snowmobiles and motorcycle gears and gear and rigby here. Gotcha. They are the number one in the world in what they do. And we have at least seven kids working full time over there. So they've been hired, so they're good that they're working there because it's extreme technical gear. But when the computer program we teach everybody, they use it over there. They use it at Beehive Clothing. About 90% of the industry uses it. But in that program, when you start laying things out and the pattern on a cutting table, it will start to show you the percentage of waste as you're laying it out. And you have to keep going until you're like in the 87th percentile mm-hmm. or you're costing your manufacturer too much money. Gotcha. And what is that program that you guys use? It's called Gerber Accumark. Gerber Accumark. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of gnarly at times, and they just came out with 3D and avatars. Wow. So that now with the Tabernacle Choir, my intern's down there, because the Tabernacle Choir has sizes 3 to 30. Whoa. Yeah, we have a range, but we have to make them all look uniform and not distracting when they're singing. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to build avatars in about five different categories so that we can see what it looks like on the avatar before we pay the money and do a mock-up of it. And that's pretty accurate? Mm-hmm, because it, they tell you if it's too tight or too loose by light waves. So let's Whoa. let's say you get too tight. Let's say, if, for instance, the too tight light wave is red. You're going to see that and you're going to go, oh, wow, I've got to alter the pattern right here. It's too tight in the hips. Right. Or if it's too loose, it'll be... Maybe it's purple or something. And if green, maybe it's just right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because I've been trying to learn how to put them together. And right now, it's the first edition of them. So they're still kind of gnarly. And they'll get more user-friendly. But, yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. So you can try it on. You can see if the proportions are right. You can see if it's going to look good on size 2 or size 32. Uh-huh. I would love it if I could make myself an avatar and throw it to Amazon or H&M or whoever I buy clothes from because I have broad shoulders and I have a small torso and shirts are just like either too tight or yeah. just too loose and it like goes all the way down looks like a skirt on me and it's like oh that's a small I'm like this is a skirt <laughs> yeah well like Governor Levitt past Governor Levitt of Utah uh-huh. is the president the new president of the choir and he went to China on a business trip or something, and they measured him, and they did just that. Really? They measured they him, him a... and they threw it up in the CAD. They made the pattern. They made the avatar. And he says, the best fitting suit I've ever had. And now they have the stuff, so he just says, I think I'd like a pair of pants in this fabric. And he just tells them, boom, they send it right back, and it fits exactly every time. He gets the perfect fit. Doesn't even have to worry about returns or anything. Mm-mm. Because it's him. Yeah. Yeah. So one day we're going to be to that. That would be awesome. You'll just send in your measurements. Yeah. And you'll probably go somewhere and get scanned, like at the airport. Uh-huh. And you can walk into some store, maybe maybe the buckle or somewhere would scan you, and you they would export your measurements somewhere. And then they'll have your 3D image, and they'll, then they'll just kick it out. Wow, that is the future of apparel for sure. It is, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I bet you would learn that if it came out, you know. <laughs> I would, and I I learned it when it, we first bought it. In fact, it scared the heck out of me when I first bought it. I thought, man, there's a lot of tithing money. Because <laughs> in the industry, it's $15,000 a seat. They obviously gave us a huge Discount, and now we mm-hmm. have a hundred seats on campus. We started out with twenty-four. Okay. And we also have the big plotter that's the printer that'll print out the pattern, and we also have what's called a digitizer, where if they make a flat pattern in class, we can go put it on this thing, and it has a copper grid under it that talks to the computer, and you just 
you go around it and you digitize it in and it'll put your pattern up into the system and then you go in and perfect it. Wow. And so we have all that here on campus and I was the first one to learn it. And I went twice, twice for training. The first time I came home, I cried all the way home on the airplane. I went, I just done, how am I going to learn this? So I came home and spent the whole summer yeah. practicing and practicing. And I went back to New York and, um, I have a young, my youngest daughter lives in the Upper West Side, New York, stayed with her and went to training every single day in down, in down the fashion district to learn it. And I was a star of the class that time. Whoa. And so I know that if they can learn it, I can learn it. It just might take me a little bit longer, but yeah, that's what eternal progression is all about. And I don't want to get to the other side of the veil and say, okay, you got to put her over here in these, the old folks classes. Cause she didn't take the time to learn it while she's there. Oh no, we got one here that really learned it. Boy, she can go over here with these guys. <laughs> you know, it's, I just, cause we're going to keep learning. And sure. I was going to ask you about your, um, project runway thing that you mentioned earlier that you did during COVID. Cause I read about it, mm-hmm. um, in 2020 that you guys did a, I don't know how big it was or if it was what you had normally done, but I just read about that one single. It was really small. I think we did it twice. Mm-hmm. Normally our kids were used to either 500 people in the MC ballroom or a little over a thousand in the heart gym. Oh, wow. And so the first semester of COVID, we didn't have a fashion show and I gave more F's and D's than I've ever given mm. because there's a level of accountability when you know you have to wear it on a runway under lights in front of your friends and other people that there wasn't when there was no runway as I'll just turn in there and they'll just take what I get mm-hmm. and so the level of accountability went way down and so our students came up with the idea um, our apparel society came up with the idea let's have a project runway and so the first time we did it the only place they would let us have it is up in the the multi-purpose room here in the MC up on the third floor. Oh yeah. And they would only give us 50 chairs. And so it looks really weird on the, when you watch it. Yeah. Cause you have people sitting six feet apart. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's just like massive gaps of massive people. gaps. And then we, that's the first time we, in the past we were filming our fashion shows, but this time we thought, well, let's put it on Instagram live. Oh, cause okay. then everybody can watch it that can't be in the 50. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we realized we had moms checking in from Indiana one mom was from Ghana, got up in the middle of the night to watch it. Oh. And our parents could all of a sudden watch it. And so we went, I'll be darned. This is better than filming it. Mm-hmm. And so we, I said, guys, this is like the Met Gala. We're doing an Instagram Live. <laughs> and they go, how do you know about this, sister? Well, I watched that Met Gala on Instagram Live because <laughs> how are you going to stay up with things if you don't? Right. Um, so I subscribed to Vogue. I, oh, you stuff. are? Okay. Oh, so Vogue, yeah. Met Gala, you've been watching I mean, that. I mean, I'm following all these guys on Instagram. I get Vogue once a month in my mailbox, and I hope I don't get drummed off the street for that in my Rexburg, but <laughs> you've got to stay abreast of your, yeah. you got to, you have to know what's going on or you go home. Yeah. Can and I so, ask you a question about mm-hmm. that? Uh, just like keeping up with things. Do you ever just look on like, uh, on Instagram for influencers? Uh-huh. You do? Yeah. Okay. Who do you follow? Well, I follow most of the big names, and I follow a lot of different ones that I can see are up and coming. Okay. So who are some big names, and who are some up and coming that you see? Um, I follow our Annie Paveni. I follow some of our students. I follow Dior Valentino, because I have a student that works at Valentino in London. Okay. And she used to work for Ralph and Russo, but they went down during the pandemic. Ralph and Russo went down? Because there was nobody going to Met Gala's or anything. Oh, okay. Was Ralph and Russo... They were in the league of Dior and Chanel. Okay. So I follow all those kind of guys. Wow. And then I follow 
ones that are just under that. So I'll follow like Bloomingdale's in New York City or things like that. And then there's a lady in New York City that's in my daughter's stake. In fact, she's in the Stake Young Women's Presidency and she's over all the Dior for New York City. And she zoomed in and talked to our society because she's wow. a pretty high powered LDS woman. Yeah. And so I follow her and um, we were able to get her on there. And then there's another lady in New York City and her name's Sheena Smith. And she used to be the assistant. She would, no, I take that back. She was the um, accessories editor for Teen Vogue. So she picked out all the accessories for everybody and for the teenagers for Teen Vogue in the whole United States. Oh, okay. That's what an editor is like. She was the accessories editor. So she was over all the accessories for Teen Vogue. Gotcha. And she's LDS. Wow. So I, I altered her wedding dress because she, before she got married, she, my youngest daughter was in the singles ward in New York City. Now she's married, living there because her husband works there and she works part time. But mm -hmm. she was sitting next to Sheena in Release Society and Sheena was bemoaning the fact that she got a runway dress from Dior for a wedding dress, but it, it just needed cap sleeves. And the lady she got in New York to do it just botched it. And Lindsay says, my mom can fix that. <laughs> just casually. She's like, my mom is an expert. My mom will fix that for you. And well, lo and behold, she's from Bountiful, Utah, was getting married in her reception, Salt Lake Temple, the receptions in Deer Valley. Mm -hmm. So I got a hold of a niece of mine who had a roommate that was working at Nordstrom's in City Creek. So we told him who was coming. We needed a private dressing room because she was kind of a big deal. And so I met her in this private dressing room at Nordstrom's mm -hmm. and we try on this Dior. No, it wasn't Dior. It was Oscar de la Renna. I take that back. It was Oscar de la Renna. Okay. And I was like, this is the first time I've been inside an Oscar de la Renna dress. Oh. <laughs> so I bet that's so exciting for I you. I met her when, I mean, it was probably a $20,000 dress. I met her Wednesday night. I had to have a back tour Friday morning. And I only got one chance at it. Whoa. And that's pressure. Yeah. So guess who was on her knees? A whole lot. Yeah. I and in imagine. fact, every time I make a temple wedding dress, I'm on my knees. In fact, every time before I walk into class at BYU, mm -hmm. you'll find me in the bathroom saying a prayer before I walk into class that I'll have the answers and yeah. be an instrument. Can I ask you about that? Mm -hmm. um, I've met quite a few. Well, Karen Esplin is a uh -huh. photographer and uh, she's a professor here, right? Uh -huh. Teaching photography. And I took a class from her and she always talked about praying before she took any trip, before she went out in the woods to take photos because the spirit was something that helped guided her creativity. And is that something that you have a similar yep. inspiration process? The first some I've done that all through my life because I know that there's all kinds of ladies on the other side that would love to be the little guardian angel. Heavenly Father says, can you go help her? You know this stuff. Right. And one of my grandmother. But um, I get on my knees and just say, I'm making this temple wedding dress, and this person's really trying hard to, to do it the right way. But I only get two fittings, and she's in New York, and I'm here in Rexburg. And so can you help me out so I don't make a mistake along the way and help me get this right? Because I not wanted, I wanted to knock it out of the park and look really good modestly, but I also wanted to look at the height of fashion and the height of Vogue. Yeah, and be proud of yeah, what she's Yeah, that's wearing. why I tell the kids in class, who says we have to look dowdy or dumpy? Come on, you guys. Yeah, like modesty is not like... You don't have to look dowdy or dumpy. Yeah. And so that's why we have people like Sheena from Vogue and, and Natalie from Dior. Mm -hmm. Her big sticks in the industry. And um, 
come talk to him. Like, no, you don't have to do that, you guys. There's plenty of things you can wear that are just fine. And you, and in fact, I'm so competitive that for me it was always a game. And I had four daughters in California to get the best. I made all their bathing suits and all their prawn dresses so that we knocked it out of the park and everybody wanted to look like them. And so that's what I'm trying to get them in class to get over this. If it's modest, it's ugly. No, you guys, be competitive about this, you know. I don't want to look dumpy. I want to look like the height of fashion. And even though I need to look appropriate for my age, I still want to look like, oh, she knows what's going on. She's a, she knows what the trends are. And that's what I'm Damn. trying to do for this choir is it has to be classic, has to be right, but it has to also look, be appealing to the rest of the world. Like, okay, this church knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically the, one of the biggest things I've tried to teach them is no, you do not have to look like that. Yeah, We're not, you know, we're not on track. And like I tell them, you guys stay away from the quilting fabrics. We're not making a dress that looks like Trek. Mm. We're on a runway, guys. Yeah. Got to look good. Got to yeah. look your best. Got to look uh, high fashion. Yeah. And why not? Right. Why can't we? And and that, like, I feel like to me, just hearing that, like, inspires innovation and also understanding like what other people are doing, like it encourages you to see what, look at the world and see what's, you know, considered uh, trendy or like uh, high quality and then... Figure out how to adapt that to our standard. Right, yeah. And there's a way every time. Yeah. Every single time there's a way. Yeah. I think you're a great example of that. But, and because it, it bugs the heck out of me when <sighs> LDS women start looking very dowdy mm -hmm. because I think that is not a good representation of who we are and what Heavenly Father wants us to be. Mm -hmm. And um, every every temple he ever builds is pristine and the best, and it's the best of equipment. It's the best architecture. Just why can't we do that with clothing? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have to sacrifice anything, and I just it bothers me when women start looking dowdy. Yeah, sometimes I feel like... It's not the image we should have. Right, and to that point, I would also like add, maybe it's like sometimes tough to find something that you find appealing and in your values, you know? And so maybe some people make that sacrifice or just because it's convenient or even yeah. because they think other people might think they're, you know, current. Yeah. I got to be, I got to do this and to stay current. But all I can tell you is that you can do it, stay current and they'll never know what you're doing. Because mm. I would have kids from my, friends from my daughter's high school saying, can you make me a bathing suit like your daughter? Or can you make me a dress like your daughter? Because mm -hmm. they're standing there tugging on their strapless dress or their bikini. I love your daughters. They had, nobody had an idea that we were keeping it in line with strength of the youth. Mm. Not one person. Yeah. We just decided we're going to be the best bathing suit, the best prom dress, and knock it out of the park. Mm. And and we did. Yeah. And so it's possible. You just... And then I would, just one little side note, mm -hmm. kind of like class, I would always go in the bathroom and pray about the shopping trip with my daughters before we left mm -hmm. and said, Heavenly Father, you know what I'm trying to do here. Can you help me out? Can we come <laughs> find something? <laughs> and then we would go to San Francisco because we lived in Northern California and we'd go shopping for fabric and shoes and accessories and make it mm -hmm. fun and, and see if we could find the best fabric, the best shoes. And, and then, then they were more amenable to it and I think we can apply the same thing just across the board yeah the Muslim women we've even talked about the Muslim women class mm -hmm. went to London three years ago oh my gosh 
Those women never budge one inch. They have to have their hair covered. Mm-hmm. And there's extreme Muslim factions. You got the burqa ladies with just the screen and their burqa. Mm-hmm. But you sit on the subway in London and you sit next to a Muslim woman. She's got this turban. She's got the most elegant makeup. They're the most elegant looking women I've seen. And they do not budge one thing off their standards. Mm. But they're striking. Mm. And they do it. And theirs is worse than ours. Right. Like uh, with strictness. Yeah. They yeah. they have to have it down to the wrist, down to the ankles. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have that. Right. Yeah. Up to the neck. But boy, they work it. I'll tell those women work it. And so those women's every year there's fashion week mm-hmm. and there's five fashion capitals where they have it. When they have London fashion week, these wealthy, wealthy Muslim women, I mean, they are dripping with wealth. They're the ones shopping in Harrods, not me. Um, but they started a modest women's fashion show like five, six years ago, wow. right alongside Fashion Week. And man, alive. And they've got money, but they've learned how to make it work with money. Wow. And it's rivaling anything that's on the runway. Yeah, that's amazing that they do it the same, same time. Same time, and they're brave enough to do it. So what is wrong with us? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. No, we don't have that strict standard. And if they can do it, we can do it. And I often show them that in class mm-hmm. and just say, look at these women. They're elegant. Like one of them, and I've gotten an intern with her in New York. They started streetwear for upscale Muslims. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's leather with maybe a fox collar or this or that. But it's the most elegant streetwear you've ever seen. And they have a, a store in Dubai and New York mm-hmm. and and I worked with them, and I found them because this wedding dress I made for my daughter's roommate, I went to her wedding. One of these ladies walked into the wedding with a hijab, and she was the most elegant woman in the whole place, barring the, even the bride. And mm-hmm. I made that dress. <laughs> but she walked in, and she was covered from it, and she dropped her hijab when she walked in the room and just had it over her shoulder. And the whole room turned. She was stunning. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay. So I went over and talked to her, and... Found out more about her and found out her sister was starting this streetwear company. And so I followed them, was able to get an intern in there with them. Wow. And so it's doable. Yeah, very doable. Yeah, you can go into any of it. Right. And like we have students from, take my fashion history class from history and sociology, even biology. And I've got a humanities and a history major. We have a fashion, historical fashion collection here on campus that we didn't even know we had until... After I got here and we've been cataloging it and we've been doing museums all up along Idaho and Montana. And okay. so they've been taking interns, but we have a student from history and humanities right now as our interns helping with our collection because they want to be a curator in a museum. And you can go that route. Wow. Yeah, that's a completely different route. It's still in line. Like you still get a like interact with the clothing and like find what was representative of maybe yeah. the times that... And my students have to take fashion history because that's how the Dior's, the Chanel's, that's where they get their inspiration is from everything from the past. And so if you don't know fashion history, you don't know, you have to know the eras and how to bring it forward and how to Mm. bring it forward from the 80s or from the 20s or the 60s or whatever and and Mm -hmm. give it a little twist. Mm. Do you ever just walk around campus and just look at like outfits that students wear and you're like this could be better here or like not necessarily judging and say like, Oh, that's so tra- like trash or like their trash or anything, but just like the clothing itself. 
Well, first of all, when you teach patterning and apparel, mm-hmm. every time you look at somebody, you start taking about their part their clothing in your head and think, how do they pattern that? Mm. And then teaching things with principles and elements of design, I'll look at that and say, you might want to balance that out in the principle. That That is not a good place for you to put white around your hips because it's like that's not flattering to your figure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do a lot. It's really hard mm-hmm. because I see things that you say, no, that's not flattering to you. And it's, it's bad proportion. And, mm-hmm. and, but you know, you keep your mouth shut. Right. Everybody's expressing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you say that and then you're like, you're like cringing as you say that, but <laughs> no one will see that except me, but yeah. I had to say it. Um, what do you think of my outfit? Like you were talking about like the proportions or like the, the, I don't know, like the way it's designed. You're I mean, it's pretty simple. simple but yeah, you're in proportions. You're basically two to three, which is perfect proportion. Two to three. So there's a proportion that cuts you right here. Your head is the proportion gauge for your body. So whatever okay. this is from the top of your head to your chin, you have seven more of those down here. Oh, wow. So from your neck to your chest is one, from your chest to your waist is two. So that's mm-hmm. basically where you're, about where your teacher goes. Gotcha. And then you have three more down below your waist from your... Okay. From your hip to your knee into the ankle and down right. there. So that's two to three. Mm-hmm. And so when I try to explain this, one of my kids in high school said, when I showed him the Greek Parthenon, he goes, two to three, well, isn't that a six-pack, Miss O? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you're right, it's a six-pack. <laughs> I've got a six-pack, but yeah, I didn't even so know it. so that's perfect proportion, and maybe you do have a six-pack. I don't right. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So you're good. I'm good. Yeah, it, it's, good. it's balanced? Yep. Wow, okay. What about the colors? That's something that yeah, I always... Yeah, Really? I'm fine. Just don't ever wear white socks with your sandals for me. White, white socks with sandals? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Rexburg and Idaho thing and a Utah thing. It's from somebody coming from California. You never see socks on sandals in California. You probably just never see socks with sandals because it's too hot, right? People just be barefoot. But sandals are barefoot. They're yeah, not. barefoot shoes. Yeah, yeah. That's a hard one for me, and that's a cultural thing, too. Right. It definitely is a cultural thing. And I've been guilty of that in the past, but I've moved away. So. Oh, good. <laughs> deal. I'll make you that deal at good. least. Yeah. Hey, that's it for episode three, guys. Got to give a shout out to Jeanette Orm once again. She is such a fantastic lady and really love talking to her today. And I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Let us know what you thought. Um, head us up at our Instagram at p2become. Also, go ahead and give us a follow, download the episodes on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you are listening to our podcast from. Remember, we'll have two weeks until the next episode, so if you have any suggestions on people that you'd love to hear on here, like professors from campus or other people, let us know, and we'll try our very best to get them on. Okay, I'm out of here, and that's it for the podcast. See ya.